Good morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jack mentioned that we are beginning a new series today on verses, our favorites. And so today we focus on one of those that was turned in, which is John chapter 14, or many of you turned this one in, John chapter 14, verse 6. And this is also the theme verse for Kid Life. The Kid Life theme is Kid Life Cruise, a one-way journey with Jesus. So we felt this was a great Sunday to focus on John chapter 14, verse 6. This, this guy right here is Jake Orso. Jake is about to be a fourth grader at Bluff Park Elementary. He will be a part of Kid Life this week, and he is going to read John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11 for us this morning. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go in there and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the place where I am going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been you such a, a long time? Anyone who has seen the Father has seen me. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is my Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Thank you, Jake. It will be a great week this week. When we think of cruises, we think of travel. And when we think of travel, there's really two groups of people or two types of people when it comes to travel. And we could probably argue and debate that there's a third group somewhere in the middle of these two groups, but there's really two groups. There's those that love to travel, and there's those that really don't like to travel. And they go on trips occasionally, but they just don't really love it. They go, but they, they don't really love to travel. And I would be more in that group. And it doesn't matter whether you love to travel or you don't really like to travel, that when you're on trips, after or vacations, whatever the occasion is that you're away from home, after a certain amount of time, for some of us it may be longer or shorter than others, but after a certain amount of time, we start longing for home. There just kind of becomes this sense that we're just ready to be home where things are familiar. We've got our own bed. We've got our, our people around us. We've got our own pillow. Things are, are comfortable. They're familiar. The surroundings are familiar. And for me, that's about two nights. It's about a two-night maximum where I just, I'm just ready to be home. And it, it doesn't matter if I've got my whole family with me. It, I love to get out and explore. I love mountains. I love being in the woods. And I love seeing beautiful places. But no matter where I am, I, I desire. There just comes this point where I'm just ready to be home. My dad and I, we used to go on what we would call our annual adventure, our yearly adventure. And now he calls it our yearly attempt to try to kill him. And we go, would go on different trips. And we've explored some beautiful places. 
We've been to Yosemite National Park out in California, Yellowstone National Park. We did a snowmobile trip there. It was incredible. We've been to the bottom of the Grand Canyon a couple of times. Um, we spent the night down there. We've hiked down to the bottom, spend a couple of nights, and then hike out. One of, that's one of my favorite places I've ever been because you're down there at the bottom of the canyon. Cell phones don't work down there, so it's great. If you want to call out, you've got to use an old-school pay phone. They still have that down there. And it's down at the bottom of the canyon, and you feel like God is so big and you are so small. But even on that trip, there came a point where I was longing to be home. And it wasn't after long. And even when Miley and the girls and I go on family vacations, and whether it's her family or my family, it doesn't matter. We go to see her family or my family. That's not the point. Or maybe it's just the four of us. There comes a point where I'm longing to be home and it drives her crazy. Because it's after two nights and I'm, starting, I'm ready to start packing the car, loading things up and start heading back home. And she has to calm me down and I'm trying to work on it. If y'all could pray for me, that'd be great. Save me, some, <laughs> save me some marriage problems. But I start longing to be home and we all have that sense that no matter whether we love to travel or not, we get to a point where like, I'm, just, I'm just ready to be home. And C.S. Lewis, the great British author, talks about our heart having a home, that there is a, a home for our heart. He says this, he says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That there are things, that, there's, there's things that our heart longs for that nothing in this world will satisfy. That there's not enough success, not enough power, not enough prestige, not enough money. We, they leave us wanting more and our hearts are not satisfied until they're satisfied in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. St. Augustine said it this way after he spent his life up to this point searching for truth and searching for what would fill that longing for his heart. He said, our hearts will not find rest until they find rest in you, O God. That our hearts are restless, or as Jesus says, our hearts are troubled until they find rest, until they find our, the home in him. And that's what he's talking to the disciples about in John chapter 14. And part of Part of this longing that our hearts have for us is a failure to fully trust God. We think we can handle it, we can take care of this, we can do it on our own, we wanna do it our way. We don't wanna trust God for that, we wanna do things our way and so we fail to fully trust God and that's what leaves our hearts longing for that home. And John, towards the end of his gospel in John chapter 20, verse 31, he, he, he reminds us of what his goal is for writing these words. He says, these words, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that life comes through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Son. That's the life that John is talking about. And that's why he has written these words. This passage in John chapter 14 comes right on the heels of John chapter 13, which begins what most scholars and theologians would call the Last Supper discourse. And it goes through about John chapter 17, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and teaching them as they're sharing that meal together on Thursday before Jesus would go to the cross on Friday. And Jesus is sharing with them, he's telling them that one of them is gonna betray him that he's gonna be arrested, and then he's gonna be crucified, he's gonna be put to death, and the disciples at this point are starting to panic a little bit, they're starting to doubt because they've left everything to follow Jesus. These guys have left their home, they've left security, and that day these guys would have become, they became what their father was. So if their father was a fisherman, they would become a fisherman. 
They would take over that family business. If he was a carpenter, they would become a carpenter and take over that family business. They've left that security. They've left home to follow Jesus, believing that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, and that he's going to establish the kingdom that the Old Testament promised. And now Jesus is saying crazy things like, I'm going to be put to death. I'm only going to be with you a little while longer, and then I'm gone. And the disciples are starting to panic, and they're starting to have doubts that Jesus is the Messiah. Their hearts are troubled. Jesus even predicts Peter's denial of him, which Peter does not understand. And that leads Jesus to say, don't let your hearts be troubled. And it leads Jesus to say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus, one of the things we talk about often with Jesus is his humility. That he, he was a servant. He was humble. He was a servant. He even said in Mark chapter 10, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. So he was humble. Yes, he was a servant. He even humbled himself to, to, the, to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. But for being so humble, he sure did make some pretty extravagant claims about himself and talk about himself a lot. And one of those claims is right here in John chapter 14, verse 6, in response to a question from Thomas. Thomas is like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. An exclusive and an absurd, uh, extravagant and exclusive claim that Jesus makes right here in John chapter 14, verse 6. And the disciples are still troubled. They, they wonder, how can, how can we really trust him? He's saying he's only going to be with us a little while longer, and then he's gone. Their hearts are troubled. And there are times in this life when it is hard for us to fully trust God. There's times in this life when our hearts are troubled. There, there's death of loved ones and family members and close, fr close friends. And sometimes that death comes way before we think it should come. And even if they've lived a long, full, fruitful life, death is a reality and it hurts and it leaves our hearts troubled. There's illness and sickness and disease that we watch family members and close friends suffer through. And that leaves our hearts troubled and wondering if we can fully trust God in those moments. There's evil all around us. There's suffering all around us. There's bombing of innocent people, shootings of innocent people. And we watch that happen and we wonder, can we really trust God? Where is God in this? It leaves our hearts troubled, just like the disciples. There's marriage problems and family problems that affects all the whole family, mom, dad, kids, extended family. And those leave our hearts troubled. And we wonder, where is God in this? Can we fully trust him? There's financial problems, loss of job that leads to financial problems, that leads to issues and, and other problems in our families and in our lives, and we, our hearts are troubled. And there's children, our children that make bad decisions that affect the rest of their life. There's some of you in here who you've raised your kids according to the scripture. You've raised them in the church. You've done everything you know to do. And have raised them as you think God would want you to, and yet they still make bad decisions that affect the rest of their life, decisions that are not honoring to God and not honoring to you as parents. And that leaves our hearts troubled. And it doesn't matter whether they're 15, they're 25, they're 35, 45, or 55, they're your children, and it hurts, and it leaves your heart troubled. 
And the disciples in this passage, their hearts are troubled. But even those are all negative things. Even when things are good, I want you to hear this. Even when things are good, when things are going great, when things are going well, we still fail to fully trust God and our hearts still long for home. Because if we just had a little bit more money, then we'd be happy. If I just had a little bit more success, if I had this job over here that gave me this amount of power and this amount of prestige, then people would see, oh, look at that guy or look at that girl. She's got power, prestige. She's got income, good income. If we just had those things, then we'd be happy and our hearts would not long for anything else. But those appetites, that's the root of idolatry and those appetites for power and success and money and prestige, they always want more. They, call, they cry for more and so we do whatever we need to to, f- to fill those those appetites for more, but we still long for home because our hearts won't find rest until they find rest in God. And the disciples' hearts are troubled. And there's times when our hearts are troubled. Now, I love Thomas's boldness at this point. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas is like, no, Lord, we don't. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? But I can also see Jesus thinking at this point, come on, guys, we've been together for three years. He even says to Philip, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves in verse 11. Guys, it's as if he he wants to go back to some things that they've experienced together. And this is the sixth of seven I am statements in John. The first one comes after Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five small loaves of bread and two small fish. And his disciples are with him and they don't understand what's going on. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. I am the bread of life. And then the second I am statement is in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus, the the validity of Jesus' testimony is being questioned. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees are having issues with Jesus' authority and what he's claiming. They're even thinking back to him saying, I am the bread of life. And they have issues with that. And so in this one, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And then in John chapter 10, as Jesus is teaching about him being the shepherd of his sheep that leads and guides and protects his sheep, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. And then just two verses later in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then in John chapter 11, after Jesus raises his good friend Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead about four days and Jesus raises him from the dead and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And then we come to John chapter 14, verse six, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in John chapter 15, the seventh of the I am statements of Jesus in the book of John, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with the disciples and ourselves, our hearts are still troubled. We wonder, can we trust these claims? Why and how can we trust these claims? And Jesus gives the disciples and he gives us several reasons that we can trust right here in John chapter 14. The first one we see in verses one and two, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. The first reason we can trust these claims of Jesus, he has a room for us. 
This is God's house. God's kingdom is large. His house is big. He will not run out of room. This is the God that created everything, the creator God of the universe, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has a room for us, for his children, for those who believe to dwell with him in his presence. He has a room for us. The second thing, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. He has a room for us and he prepares the way for us. Now keep in mind, this is Thursday night before Jesus goes to the cross on Friday. There's, not, there's, there's nothing in heaven that needs to be fixed. Jesus doesn't have to go fix up our room or, or go there and do anything to make it right. It's already there. He has a room for us. But what Jesus is saying is the way to get to that room has not yet been prepared. But when Jesus goes to the cross on Friday, Sin will be atoned for. Sin will be atoned for. The wrath of God will be satisfied. And then on Sunday, when when God raises Jesus from the dead, death will be defeated. And because of that, we we can be in a right relationship with God. He removes every obstacle between us and God. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He prepares the way for us to be in the room that the Father has created for us. And then the third thing, he takes us to his presence eternally. He takes us to his presence eternally. He says, if I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And it's at this point in the passage that it shifts from a place to a person. We often ask the question, what what is heaven like? What, What does heaven look like? What will heaven be like? There's songs that have been sung about what heaven will be like. My six-year-old daughter has asked me this question, and she's also asked me what hell looks like and what is hell like. And she always asks these questions, as you've probably experienced with your children, she always asks these questions at bedtime. As I'm tucking her into bed and scratching her back and she's about to drift off to sleep, that's when she decides she wants to become a philosopher and a theologian. And not only does she want to become a philosopher and a theologian, but she often becomes a thirsty philosopher and theologian. (laughs) And so now I've got to get a cup of water and I've got to come back and then I've got to explain to her the answer to these questions. And my typical response in that moment is, Sugar, that's a great question. Great question. But let's talk about that tomorrow morning. But sometimes you can't let the question go because in my mind, when she asks me what hell looks like, I'm like, she's not going to sleep. She's thinking about hell if, if, and she's not going to go to sleep till I answer this question. So in that moment, I, I just said, Sugar, that's a great question and let's talk about it more tomorrow, which she usually doesn't ever bring it up until she goes to bed again a couple nights later. I said, Sugar, that's a great question. The reason hell is so terrible is because God's presence is not there. And I said, but on the other side of that, the reason that heaven is so great because that's where God's presence is. Heaven is being in the presence of God. It's about a person, not a place. The essence of heaven is the presence of Christ. Heaven is communion and fellowship with God in its best and purest sense. And it says, he comes and takes us to his presence eternally. Where I go, I'll come back, I'll prepare a place where I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. It's his presence. And he takes us to his presence. And this is a fundamental difference between the gospel and all other religions. It's as if we're standing at the bottom of a mountain. We can illustrate it this way. If we're standing at the bottom of a great big mountain and we're at the bottom and God is at the top. Religion is gonna tell us what we need to do to get 
to God. It's going to tell us, well, if you'll go this way and do this and pray this way and believe this and say these things, that will get you to God. Or another religion will tell us to go a different way and do different things and pray a different way and that will get us to God. But in the gospel, God comes to us. Emmanuel, God with us. God sent Jesus, God in the flesh to come so that we could be made right with him and he would take us to his presence eternally. It's about a gracious proclamation of him coming to us, not of what we have to do to earn God's favor or God's love. He came to us while we were yet sinners and Christ died for us. He takes us to his presence eternally. The fourth thing, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He is the way to the room, our room in the Father's house. He bridges the gap between us and God and he's the only way. Yes, it's an exclusive claim, but it's a grace filled claim because the way that he makes a way for us is through his death on the cross, on a blood splattered cross that Jesus died so that our sins could be atoned for and we could have that room in our father's house and we could be in a right relationship with God. He is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the supreme revelation of God, God in the flesh. Colossians 1 says it this way, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's God in the flesh. He's the revelation of God. John, and back in John chapter one, John says, in the beginning was the word, the logos of God, that's Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the way, he is the truth. He's the embodiment of truth and he is the life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, when he's talking about him being the good shepherd, he said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the fullest. And the fullness of life, of this life and the life to come is the presence of God. It's being in a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. That's the fullness of life. That's what Jesus came to bring. He is the way and the truth and the life. And we have life with him now on earth where we spread the good news about him and we tell others that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But we also have eternity with him in his presence. The fifth thing, God is with us now. Jesus gets into a little bit of a back and forth here with Philip because Philip still doesn't understand that he is God in the flesh, that he is the son of God, he says in verse seven, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Jesus is saying to his disciples, God is with you now. I am God in the flesh, I'm the revelation of God and I am with you now, God is with you now. And then he again says, he says, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I couldn't have done those things without being God in the flesh, without being the son of God. I couldn't have raised Lazarus from the dead without being the son of God. And so the fifth thing is God is with us now. The sixth thing, we look down at verse 16 through 18, he will be with us always, he will always be with us. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus has told his disciples, I'll only be with you a little while longer and then I'm gone. And they've started to panic and doubt. But now he says, but if I go, I'll send the Holy Spirit. 
I'll send my spirit, the comforter, the counselor, the spirit of truth to be with you, to guide you, to comfort you, to lead you in truth. So his presence is with us now and his presence is with us always through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor, he's with us, he dwells with us. And when our hearts are troubled, we need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit cares more. Right now, in this moment, he cares more about our successes, our failures, our longings, our, our, the deaths that we experience, the things that cause our heart to be troubled. He cares more about those things than we can imagine. He's the comforter the counselor that guides us in to all truth. And these things Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. He is the room in the Father's house and he has a room for us. He has prepared the way for us to be in that room. Jesus is our way to that room. We can trust these claims. He is the home that our hearts long for. And these claims, those seven I am statements of Jesus, there were people in Jesus' day and there are people today that think those are absurd, extravagant claims and even exclusive claims. And how could one man claim those things? How can, how can Jesus make these exclusive claims? Remember this claim where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is Thursday before Jesus goes to the cross on Friday. And he dies a brutal death to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then on the third day, on Sunday, God moves the stone from the entrance of the tomb. Jesus, who was dead, walks out of the tomb. He is alive. God has raised Jesus from the dead. And all these claims are validated. When he rose from the dead, he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the gate of the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the true vine. Those claims are validated when Jesus rises from the dead, and those are not prideful, arrogant claims. They are loving, gracious claims because the way to the Father, the way to be in a relationship with God the Father, the way for Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life came through his brutal death on a cross. Those are gracious claims. Revelation 21 Chapter 21, verses three through five. This is John again writing as he is having a vision from the Lord about a new heaven and a new earth, this home that our hearts long for. And it says, and I heard in a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. These are those times when our hearts are troubled. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The dwelling of God is with men. The dwelling of God is with men. He, he, he is with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. That's the home that our hearts long for. And there are moments in this life where it's hard for us to fully trust God and our hearts long for that home. And Jesus is the way to that home. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And I will go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And then in response to Thomas's question, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, and the life. Let not your hearts be troubled. Would you pray with me?
Father, this morning we confess that there are, there are times when our hearts are troubled. And there are times when we fail to fully trust you because we think we can handle it. And these longing, the longings that our hearts have, we want, to, we want to satisfy them and fulfill them on our own instead of trusting in you. So God, we confess that. And we ask that you forgive us. And God, that in those moments you give us the strength to not be troubled in our hearts, but to remember that you are the home that our hearts long for. And that our hearts will not be satisfied until they find rest in you. God, we thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to make the way for us to spend eternity with you and to be in a relationship with you here on earth, which is the fullness of life. There, there are those of you in here this morning who maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but your heart's troubled. For whatever the reason is, your heart is troubled and you're hurting and maybe you wanna come pray with one of our ministers that will be down front during the invitation. And just say, I just need you to pray for me that my heart won't be troubled. That I'll trust fully in God and trust his plans and not trust my own strength. And there's others of you in here that maybe you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life. Maybe you're still searching for the way and the truth and the life and Jesus is the way the truth and the life. So we'd invite you to come this morning and say yes to Jesus and put your faith in him. God, this morning we look to you and say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the power that's in his name. Thank you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We pray these things in that powerful name of Jesus. Amen.